I hope you're still awake. Yeah, after a long day, there's no better place to be, really. It's been an amazing couple of days for me. Um, you guys love Jesus, and I can feel it. Um, it's easy to come to an environment and to, um, to play worship, to play church, right? To have camera light action. And um, I just love the fact that I, I have a sense that there's authenticity in your worship rather than just trying to play church. So, yeah, I'm so proud of you. Uh, the reason I'm here and uh, really... My heart desire is that we see a generation of young adults and young professionals in particular who love Jesus wholeheartedly. The type of Christians that don't play church. Like if you're not a Christian, you don't really subscribe to this thing, that's absolutely fine. There is, please do not hear me um, in any way uh, attempting to uh, persuade you. Yeah, sorry there. Thank you. I'm not here to persuade you in any way uh, to take a decision or another. But if you subscribe to Christianity, if this is the thing that you want to live for, uh, then I'm hoping tonight the Lord will really uh, work his magic in your life to give you an idea of what real Christianity compared to Western Christianity looks like. And uh, well, as, as an organization... Um, that I belong to, we, we, we're called Gen J. And Gen J is basically a, a prophetic word to say, you know, there is Gen X, there is Gen Y, there is Gen whatever now, I don't know, Gen iPhone or whatever they call them these days. But our heart's desire is to see a generation that's called Gen J. That is, that is not based on a demographic um, or, or, or a different segregation of the market, but that every Jesus, every disciple is a Jesus-like disciple. It's somebody that is truly and genuinely living the life of Jesus on earth. So if you're a, if you're a follower of Jesus, I pray tonight you, you will have a sense of the seriousness of the call of God over your life, and you'll either give it your best shot or maybe realign your definition of Christianity. So, uh, we've been looking at this concept, the metaphor of us being a moving image. Uh, we are the image of God, and we're basically moving. So, we're a moving image. Uh, we're, we're, we're supposed to be living in the movie that God created for all humanity under those four different, um, uh, four different, uh, I guess, acts in the drama. Uh, after creation, uh, we talked about incarnation. The image of God, Jesus, is incarnate so he can show us what it's like to be like God. And so he can enable us to live that by giving us a potentiality, giving us abilities and qualities for us to to leave that out. And today I want to look at the idea of sanctification. Basically, if you call yourself a Christian, then the entire life that you have is called sanctification. The word sanctification is a process 
that moves you from your potentiality to your actuality. That moves you from having something that's dormant on the inside of you to something that you live out in reality. That's basically what sanctification is. Sanctification is being more and more like Jesus. That means being a more and more the very image that you were created to be. I'm going to tell you something. I'm not sure if you would agree with me. But I don't believe the goal of Christianity is going to heaven. I don't know if you've been taught and sold that lie. You come to Jesus so you can go to heaven. So what do you do on earth? As I, we might as well put you in a coffin and send you to heaven. In a package, in a fast delivery, first class. Like instead of baptism, they would just shoot him. It's like you, you come to Jesus before you stuff it up and, and ruin it for us all. You know, see you later. I don't know who's going to be baptizing them because the person baptizing them should be dead already. You know, but the reality is a stupidity. It's selling you a package that if you just do this little bit, you're going to get this big thing. You're going to go to heaven. And, 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 and if you're stupid enough, say, yeah, that's all I'm, I'm, I'm going to do. And some people think they're tricking God. Okay, I'm going to just say, I, I, I repent. Uh, I'm going to take that ticket to heaven and stuff you. I'll, I'll live the rest of my life happy because once saved, always saved, right? Right, right? So I can trick God, isn't it? I'm going to get the best of both life. And then at my deathbed, I say, remember Jesus? I received you some other time. And like, seriously, that's stupid. If you call that Christianity, then the person that sold you that life is just as stupid. All right? Are we recording these stupid words that I'm saying? Can you cancel them? The goal of Christianity is Christ-like living. It's not merely ticket to heaven. It's not a transaction. It's a transformation of life. You know why? Because God dreamt of the idea of you being like Jesus from the very beginning. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, you probably know Romans 8.28. Everybody knows that one because it's like, it's the other manipulation of God. We were talking in our group with Joe and Patty and others today about manipulating God. So we always bring that card. Romans, Lord, do you remember uh, Romans 8.28? All things work out together for good for those who love God. Yeah, remember? This thing stuffed up so bad. Can you make it work? Yes, yes. God is like your genie thing. And he's going to make it work out because you remember the verse. But do you know what the next verse is? The end of that verse for those who are called according to God's purposes. And verse 29, God's purposes is that those whom he has called and predestined, that they will be conformed to the image of his son. Let me give you, bust the myth. When Romans 8.28 says all things work out together for good, it actually means work out together for good so you can be more like Jesus, be conformed to his image. So a disaster with another disaster, they're not just all of a sudden they get a cancel each other again. Whoa, surprise! You know, Jesus wakes up at night, wakes you up at night. Surprise! I've got this little gift. Do you know what? It's still 10 to 10 in the morning. It's crazy. Surprise! I've got a great gift for you because, come on. It's not Santa Claus. He's saying everything, my friend, will work out for good because in the big drama that is twists and bends and, and problems and challenges, but at the very end, all
all of this is making you live out the character that you created to live out, to act out the life of Jesus. That's what it means. The goal of Christianity is Christ-like living. And when Jesus came to earth, like I told you this morning, He didn't come so He can forgive you your sins. Gee, so what do you do after forgiveness of sins? Well, you're going to stuff up again. So what do you want Jesus to do? But He did better than that. He gave you His capabilities so you could live the life that you created that you long to live. That deep inside you desire to live that up. So he gave you potentiality. And here we, we, we mentioned this very briefly in the morning. It says, but we all with unveiled face beholding a mirror. So you look in the mirror. Who do you see? We said that in the morning. Who do you see? I know you're tired, but hey, humor me for another half an hour. Uh, you see yourself. You see the glory of the Lord in the inside of you. And as a result, you're being transformed into what? The same image that you see from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So if you put the mirror to your face and you see uh, you know, Adam, you see the sinfulness of your heart. You see the desires of the world. You see the deception of sin. Guess what? You're going to be transformed into the same image of filth that you look in your heart and you see. But if you see in the mirror that Jesus has given you and you see the attributes of Christ and you see kindness and generosity and self-control and wisdom and selflessness, you will be transformed into that very image. That's the freaky thing. But it's God's heart for us since eternity that we will be like Jesus. And Jesus came to redeem us. That means he came to show us God-likeness. And this is the biggest thing, to deposit potentiality. That means to deposit abilities on the inside of us. So we could live it out. You're not left on your own. Go and be like Jesus. Yeah, because we can, right? We've been flawed. We can't. The image has been marred. But he's put the abilities in you to live like Jesus. So how do we move from potentiality to actuality? How do we move from having the capabilities to actually living out the capabilities? That's the desire of every genuine believer. It's saying, okay, I have the DNA of Jesus on the inside. How do I live that out? Because it doesn't look like I'm living it out. And if you're a genuine lover of Jesus, that's the most concerning question in your heart as it is on my heart. How do I live like Jesus more consistently? How do I do that? And these are three ways Christians, sometimes so-called Christians, attempt to do that. Once they receive Jesus, they turn that potentiality into apathy. It's like, yeah, you know what? I received Jesus, man. I'm going to heaven. Hallelujah. I'm going to come to church. I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to sing and dance. I'm going to have an awesome time. And when I go to with, with my friends, I'm going to be, you know, it's going to be. But I don't really care about becoming more like Jesus. I'm just happy the way things are. It's not the foremost idea in my mind. I've got a career. I've got relationships. I've, I've, I've got money to make. I've got friends to keep. I've got, I've got, you know, I've got the will to keep going, mate. I've got a desire to achieve at the end. So, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful to God for, for allowing me to receive Jesus. But that's about it. I'm, I'm just a Christian now. Apathy. Others are passive. We talked about that in, in the afternoon, didn't we, Joe? Well, people aren't putting 
they're evident. It's that the concept people think that in the Bible it's called let God and let go. Well, I, I don't, it's not. Just, I'm not going to do anything because the Holy Spirit or God is going to do everything. God never asked that. God never promised that. God doesn't celebrate laziness. You look in the scripture, I was just teaching our own team the other week about the amount of verses in the scripture about lazy things and lazy people. And that's not something that God honors. In fact, in Romans says, do not serve the Lord with laziness, but with enthusiasm. And others go to the other extreme and become so active. They love the activities of God more than they love God. You go to church and read the Bible and, and pray and maybe fast and become very active. They do a lot of activities in order to be transformed. Guess what? Over the last six or so years, I've been studying how people are transformed, secularly and in Christianity. And so many research are telling us that activities, Christian activities, a three-year study that was done in 2007, a three-year studies of about 11,000 people, they discovered that participation in religious activities, and they were born-again Christians that in seven churches in the U.S., the participation in Religious Christian activities do not predict or cause long-term growth. They do not predict. Like just because you're doing those activities, it doesn't predict that you are growing in Jesus. It, it, it's, it's, it's a crazy thing. So if we put all this effort and we're not growing and being transformed into the likeness of Jesus, what the heck are we meant to do? Like, Is there anything better than putting all this energy? Well, there is something to do. Because you and I experience a problem in our little movie of showing Jesus. The problem is we have two contrasting characters or two contrasting character qualities that are appearing in our raw footage. Sometimes the act smells like Jesus, feels like Jesus. And people around you are blessed and Honored and delighted because you smell like Jesus in the way you interact with him. And other times they like can't handle you because you're not likable. Like you're not acting like Jesus anymore. You have got two different footages, even though you're supposed to act the same character more consistently. I'll tell you a little story just before I, I move on. Um, for a period of time, as I told you, I was a video production, amateur video production. And I did a bit of videos for weddings. And I recall maybe the second or third wedding, um, I got this new camera. It was, I literally it was $10,000 at the time. It was a big amount. It was in the early 1990s. And we went to the exhibition, uh, the exhibition, what it called the exhibition, the old exhibition building. And, and they were taking photos of the bride and groom. And the, and the grass was high. And I had seen some videographers. You remember the story, Daniel? I remember some videographers, they used to hold the camera like that. And they go through the grass, la, 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 and they do slow motion, and they come up to the broad and group spaces, and they go down again. So I thought, wow, I've never got a good camera. I'm going to do the same thing. I did this, 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 and then up like that, and went down again, and went up again. I'm like, I'm thinking these people think I'm like creative freak, you know? And I could imagine the footage that with the slow motion. Back in the time, we did everything sepia, black and white. We killed black and white. I think you guys don't believe in black and white because we killed it. We did everything black and white. It was just so monotonous and, and stupid. It's not creative anymore. But everything.
everything in movies, in, in wedding videos, was black and white and slow motion. Is the, 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 how many kissing scenes in slow motions can you do? It's like, my goodness, it's damn boring. Okay, so anyway, I did that. I was so happy with myself. And then I picked the camera up and put it on my shoulder. And I was zooming to the bride and, uh, and the groom's uh, faces. And I noticed a little insect having a tour guide into the bride's nostril. It's just on my camera. And I'm like, where the heck is this little insect? I was, and then all of a sudden it disappears. Praise the Lord. Where the heck did that come from? Ten seconds later, it's coming down from the nostrils, down to the cheeks. You know, it's not on the bride's face. It's just in my camera. I'm like, I'm looking and but I'm thinking, how can I undo this lens? Well, the lens was stuck. It's one of those cameras where the lenses, you can't undo them. And I'm, oh my goodness. So I filmed as much as I po could possibly film. It's like... I was addicted to filming because every time I'm filming, there is like seconds where the insect is not on my camera. It's inside my camera. And, and I had lots of, and I'm like sweating like crazy. And uh, anyway, when we went to the reception, it disappeared. I was nearly crying in the car, but it disappeared. Anyway, I'm thinking, what am I going to do with this? Like, actually, the girl used to work with me in a previous life. I'm like, happened with a good friend as well, a ruined her wedding. Like, imagine giving her the video, and there's an instinct, not at a cost. It's absolutely free, you know? It's, it's, it's like an additional guest, came to the, the, the garden, never actually ate anything, so you're fine. I'm not gonna charge you extra for that. I was so embarrassed. Anyway, don't do me, I don't know what, that I'm gonna cut, every time the insect is traveling around and visiting the bride and grooms, I'll just cut that down. So I cut, 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 and it was like, the time where the insect, insect wasn't on the screen was minute. It was like, in three or four or so seconds between its traveling, it was very busy insect. So I had all those little, stupid little clips. I'm thinking, what am I gonna, there's no slow motion to four frames. You can't do slow motions and kissing. There's no kissing. It's like, it's, it's like, oh, gone. <laughs> it's like they vanish. It's like, you, you know that you never kissed your bride? It's not there. I haven't got any records of it, okay? Um, so what I decided is somehow I decided to do what we call the music clip video. And I got the, you know, fast music, all the music videos back in the day, wedding videos like, because it's slow motion, you can't have fast with and stripey effect, like it's stupid. So I had this fast cut, and then I boom, 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 boom. There's no story to it. It's just, it's, it's just take the, the the insect out, and everything is alright. As long as we have the bride and groom in some capacity, that's a brilliant success. Alright, and and I and I, oh, it's, it's came about, and then I, the bride and groom came. I showed him the video. I'm coming to the garden bit. I'm like, I want to fast forward. I'm like, I'm too worried. Because it's fast. It's very, very fast. It's like we were there for an hour and a half. And it's like, it's gone. They looked at it. Oh my goodness. That's the best video I've ever seen. I'm like, yeah. You, you like that? I intentionally did it. <laughs> And I began to change my video style to make it everything without the insect, but every, 
everything was cut so quick and fast and it became the music video I submitted in 2000 for the video Pro Australian Video Producers Award and it got the gold award. I kid you not. Thank you, insect from the depths of my heart. And you know what? When I look at my life in the mirror, there's insects having a tour down my nostrils, into my brains, out of my mouth. And I need to cut that out. I want to see the good version of the Jesus me, and I want to cut out the version of the just me. It needs an editor. It needs an editor. Because an editor allows the character of Jesus to be revealed more consistently. And the great news, friends, today is the editor is the Holy Spirit. And he's been given to you and I, so throughout our lives, not in post-production, but throughout our days, he's just cutting some things and allowing other things to come to the foreground. And other people look at it and say, Whoa, that's the best video I've seen. I say, yeah, you haven't seen the insect. It's in the background. Because the editor took it out. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our heart studios. He wants to have a partnership with us. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I understand there's different theological convictions in the room. But let me tell you something, because I'm only with you for a couple of days. You can hate on me later on. But if you're a Christian who doesn't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, you could never be like Holy Jesus. can never. You're wondering why you don't have affection for Jesus? The Holy Spirit is the only one that can enable you to do that. You wonder why you don't have self-control? The Holy Spirit is the only one that can give you self-control. You wonder why you have no influence? The Holy Spirit is the only one that can give you influence because He's the one that manifests the character of Jesus in you. 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. He's the only one that can manifest the character of Jesus in our mortal body. In who we are, He manifests Jesus in us. So, uh, let me give you just a, a, a quick three things that we uh, need to be careful of and we're going to spend some time in prayer. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul acknowledges those two personalities that we have. The just me and the Jesus me. And he says to the, to the Christians there, he says, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit is what's, what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do what you want. Okay, you know what Paul is saying in a very best, you guys know this. I'm just, I'm, I'm preaching to the converted. But deep inside of you, you have an old nature, a nature that looks like Adam, a nature that feels like Adam, a nature that is susceptible and vulnerable and, and tending towards the things of, of, of independence from God. That's on the inside of you, we call that flesh. We call that you just as you are without God. We, I call that just me. The just me, my normal nature, my just me. And that doesn't get away when you become a Christian. It's still there. But on the inside of you, there is also the Jesus you. 
which is the spirit who deposited the divine nature on the inside of you. So inside of you, you have the just you and the Jesus you. And, and Paul is saying, they hate each other. <laughs> they, they're in a war on the inside of you. You know how sometimes you want to do something and you, you find yourself doing something else? Where did that come from? It came from because you have a just you on the inside of you. That doesn't want the things of the spirit. But Paul has a solution. He says, you know, you can actually discover the things of the flesh. You don't have to be confused. It says the acts of the flesh are obvious. You know, whether it's sexual immorality or impurity or hatred, discord, jealousy, the whole lot. Selfish ambition. It's and the like means it's a lot of it. It's not an exhaustive list. He's saying anything inside of you that's self-centered, anything that's inside you is just for you, that's your just you. That's not your Jesus you. So, you know, it's, Christianity is not about do's and don'ts. It's saying inside of you two, two desires, two possibilities, two people, two characters. You choose which one you want to live. You could live like that, which is the just you, which is the normal you, the ordinary humanity. Or you could live like the Spirit. And he said, look at the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So you can notice here that the fruit is singular. And there are so many debates as what it means. And I, I'm not uh, uh, you know, here to debate one thing or another. But the idea of singular, because it's a representation of a person's personality. It's the personality of Jesus. It's the character of Jesus. They're different dimensions of the one person. And I told you, if you're the mirror of Jesus, if you're there to embody the life of Jesus, then whoever Jesus is, it's supposed to come out of you as well. So the fruit of the Spirit, the things that come out of that character are those type of things. It reveals the seed that you received when you received Christ. We receive Christ in order to reveal Christ. We receive Christ in order to reveal Christ. You receive Christ in order to reveal Christ. And that's the type of personality that resembles the personality of Jesus. So how do we live that out? Because it doesn't happen automatically. And this is my main theme tonight. Disciples, the people of Jesus... Participate in the process of transformation, enabled by the Spirit, but in community. So there's three aspects, if you allow me to share them with you tonight. If you want to participate in the process of transformation, to be a person that reveals Jesus, you need the Spirit, you need the community, and you need to play your part. You need the Spirit with that, a relationship with the Holy Spirit and a surrender to the Holy Spirit that is not hoping you revealing the fruit of the Spirit. If the Spirit reveals Himself in the fruit, then He can't reveal Jesus without the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Look at what He says. So I say to you, walk by the Spirit and look at this. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I don't know if you remember... Uh, when you were young and maybe you've read that verse. Because for many, many years, I imagined this verse to say. So I say, walk by the Spirit and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. I thought they were two commands. Walk by the Spirit as a one command and do not gratify the desires of the flesh as another command. But I don't think they're two commands. It's a command with a 
result. Can you see that? It's a command with a result. If you walk by the Spirit, in other words, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not. It will be a result that you won't feel like obligated or dominated by the things of the flesh. So you say to me, how do I stop my selfish, self-centered urges? You don't have to focus on that bit. You just have to focus on the Spirit and He will enable you. You know why Christianity is so boring for some, so hard for others? Because they're trying to do it by themselves. How can I, I you know, not indulge and gratify my selfish nature? It's so normal. It's like you don't have to do it. The Spirit will do it if you walk by the Spirit, by the enablement of the Spirit, by the abilities the Spirit provides, by the power the Spirit, the, the Spirit gives dynamite power in your life. You see, I want to tell you the New Testament should be called the covenant of the Holy Spirit. In Jeremiah and also in Ezekiel, it speaks of a new covenant. It says that God will give you a new heart and will give you a new spirit and He will write His laws on your heart. Why? Because the, the, the Israelites couldn't live out God's commands. They couldn't live out God's standards. They couldn't live out the character, the image of God. So He said, you can't do it. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and I'm going to give you a new heart, which is a new nature, a new hard word. And I'm going to write the laws on your heart so it's not a struggle for you to live it out. And that's why the promised Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, so they could enable them, so he could enable the church and us to live the life that we've always wanted to live. But we can't live it on our own. And, and that's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. It says that therefore there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you Free from the law of sin and death. You think about it as the law of buoyancy and the law of gravity. There is gravity of sin. How can you overcome that? You say, I'm going to stand strong. I'm going to float. You can't do it. But, but there is a law of buoyancy. Spiritually, is the law of the spirit on the inside of you that enables you to overcome the gravity of sin. You need the Holy Spirit, friends. The Holy Spirit, if you receive Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit regenerated you. This is not something that you receive later on. The Holy Spirit, the triune God has come inside of you once you made a genuine decision to let go of a life of independence of God and to unite yourself to God. The Holy Spirit created a new nature on the inside of you. He's already on the inside, but sometimes we ignore him. Sometimes we're oblivious to Him. But He's the only one that can give us freedom. The next thing is the community. Disciples participate in the process of transformation, enabled by the Spirit, but they got to do it in community. Look at what Paul says in Galatians 5 again. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. That means they crucified, they, they're not responding to the urges of their old nature. With its passions and desires. Remember we said that desires is what determines what you do. Since we live by the Spirit. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. You see, Christians who want to live the life of Jesus. Got to do it in community. I understand the Western Christianity is a soul of Christianity. You come to Jesus. 
We pray over you. You receive Jesus. You go and take a Bible and find a church. But if you don't find a church, that, you know, the illusion is that it's not going to matter. And hopefully everything's going to be all right. And we'll see you in heaven. That's not a Christianity. That's just that's selling a marketing package. You're a part of a body. Can my hand say, I no longer want to be part of that, but I'm just going to check something else. Just cut me off for a little while. Well, your identity, my friend, it belongs to this. It's like we're together. The community is indispensable. You can't be a Christian without a Christian community. It's Western, individualistic, but it's not biblical. It's Western and it sounds good because you've got the freedom, but it's not biblical. We need a community. What does a community do? A community according to Galatians 3.16 and, uh, and, and James 5.14-16, to 16, it says this. Teach and admonish one another. Admonish. What does that admonishing mean? You know, it sounds like a, a really exotic word. But admonish is like direct each other. Correct one another. Be serious with one another. We want the teaching of somebody standing here who has nothing to do with your life. Tells you something and one ear out of the other. Nobody knows what you're thinking. You could be thinking about whatever. But the community teaches and admonishes. That's what the word says. That they are intimately engaged in your life. That they can say, look, this doesn't make sense. You can't really live that way. It's not what you like. It's not what's within you. And there is intricate relationship with one another that encourages and challenges us. We don't want that. We want it to be easy. We don't want anybody to, it's like, don't talk to me about politics or religion. It's like, what are you talking about? We're in it together. And without a group of people that know you well, without a group of people that you're open and as, and as James says, confess your sins to one another. It's like, that's a bit tough. But yeah, because you're not guarding your reputation. You're not believing that you're only going to be loved if you look like a, a saint. You're going to be loved for who you are, intrinsic value because of the image of God in you. And people are going to love you. And if they don't love you, that's their problem, not your problem. But vulnerability comes from that trust, being in a community. We specialize in our environment. This is a big thing. I've left the big hoo-hahs of churches. Because I believe that community is the lifeblood of the Christian life. And I've dedicated my life to invest in 46 people for a whole year. Then 46 people for another whole year. There's no buzz around it. We, we don't switch the lot off and put smoke machines and, and we feel awesome. The Holy Spirit must be here. No, the Holy Spirit is not here. It's just smoke. You know? I spend most of my life with 46 people. They know my life. I know their life. And I say hard things to them, they say hard things to me. Our entire discipleship thing, which, which we wrote about in this book here, Susie and I uh, wrote this book a little while ago. We, we, we put a, a, a program around how you, how you actually live with other Christians and make sure that you don't just study the Bible, but live together in such a way that you see transformation in the heart. Because you have been part of churches for a long time. You may not be transformed just because you're sitting next to the pew. I, I know this you know, stupid joke that they say, you know, if, 
if being if going to church makes you a Christian, then going into a garage would make you a car. You know, it, that is not, it's not really just being in a place that makes you somebody. I know it's cheesy, but it's probably true. Just because you're in a church doesn't make you vulnerable. And I know it's, you know, he's saying, you know, Peter, it's too serious. But is it serious for you to live like Jesus? If it matters, then it will matter. The third thing that I want to say is disciples need to participate in the process. They need to be enabled by the Spirit, but they need to play their part. Look what Paul says. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, which is the word you had today, Daniel. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. You've got to do something. You, you do something in the negative. Do not indulge the flesh. Do not trick God and say, I'm a Christian, but I'm going to live the way, whatever way I live. But he says, on the other hand, make the effort to serve one another humbly and in love. He says, put off the old, put on the new. Put off the old, of don't, don't act your character, act the Jesus character. The Jesus you instead of the just you. And again in Colossians, he says this, put to death. That's pretty serious and morbid type of language. It's not my language. Please don't be upset with me. That's Paul's language. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. The earthly nature is the same concept that we're talking about in Galatians, which is the flesh, which is the just you. It doesn't have to only be sinful. It's just self-centered you without God. And he speaks about the same things that he spoke about in, in Galatians 5. And then he says, you used to walk in these ways. That means there must be a difference. When you receive Christ, there must be a difference between the way you walk then and the way you walk now. It's not a mediocre Christianity. That's, it's not worth it. Why are you bothering? If you're not giving it your whole life, why are you doing it? Who's benefiting? It's freaking you out. It's annoying the thing out of you. Why are you doing it? Who's pressuring you? If you're not giving it your entire life, why are you giving it anything? He says, but now in Colossians 3, he says, you must. Rid yourselves of all such things as these. And he speaks about the acts of the flesh. Since you have taken off your old self. You edited out the insect. You've taken it off. Once for all and repeatedly. You're going to be in the editing machine all the time. Because the insect keeps, the annoying insect keeps coming out. I don't know about you, but my annoying insect keeps coming out. When my children do something, frustrate the thing out of me. My, my little insect comes out and, and does a tour down their brain, you know. Then he says, and have put on a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. That means you keep being renewed all the time until you bear the image that you were created to bear. To be Jesus-like in your community. To be Jesus-like in your friendship group. To be Jesus Christ to your family. Imagine a generation that has been raised by little Jesuses in the world. Will that be messed up generation? We've got insecurities and rejection and mess. Not perfection. Please don't misunderstand me. But more consistently over time, we reveal more of Jesus and less of ourselves. From potentiality to actuality, we need the spirit and community. We need the spirit and community. I want to finish off by inviting you 
to engage in communities. You guys put an awesome, awesome environment. Don't just settle for coming. Is it Friday night? Is it then? Don't just come Friday night and enjoy the company. Engage with, with a group of people. And check with your leaders, you know, three or four people that you can get together, say every fortnight or something, and, and, and share life together and say, you know, I'm struggling in this. Can you please pray for me? Can you please help me? Don't fix one another. Just be there for each other. It's a life. I have been in ministry for over almost 30 years. My life has never been more fulfilling than the time I, I stepped off the stage. And all the hoo-ha that comes with that and all the excitement that I genuinely felt. I didn't step down because it was boring. I stepped down because it, it was good taking me from the best. I let go of third of my income in one year, in one decision. I would do it every single day even if it took half of my income. Because I tell you, investing in four people may not be exciting, like preaching to hundreds, but it's significant. I invite you, I, I pray for you with every fiber of my being. I, would, I honestly wouldn't be here if I didn't believe that you guys, now I put, I don't, I don't, I genuinely don't receive, a, I don't accept a lot of invitations. I'm just sick and tired of just talking at people. But I believe with every fiber, not all of you, because some of you don't give a hoot, and that's fine. You're in a season where that's not your priority, and, and I respect that with every fiber of my being. But some of you are desperate to live like Jesus. You're sick of Christianity, ordinary, mediocre. You want to live the real thing. And my friend, it's not going to happen by attending more conferences. It's not going to happen by reading more books. The Holy Spirit is available. We're going to pray. We're going to sing. We're going to spend a little bit of time of, of reflection and prayer over each other. I want to tell you the Holy Spirit can turn very bright bones into a very great army. So if tonight... It's a time where you're saying, you know, I, I, I want to enjoy that great army. I want to be that person that genuinely no longer lives like a deadbeat and struggles and, and just pushes through the mundane tasks of being a Christian. I want to really thrive. I really, I, I'm telling you, if I was in a pastor of your church, and I'm getting paid to preach to you. You probably, you don't have to take my word for free. You know, you don't have to take my word seriously. But I'm telling you the truth from the depth of my heart. I don't have to do this. I love doing this. I love living for Jesus with every fiber of my being. And it only comes because I genuinely ask the Holy Spirit to do something in my life. And I engage with communities of people who are younger than me and I'm vulnerable with them. And I do my part. I play my part. Spend time with Jesus daily. Whether I feel like it or I don't feel like it. And if you come to the Spirit and say, Lord, I've, I've done it my way. But I want you to anoint me afresh. 
I want to invite as many of us to pray over each other. So um, we're going to give you an opportunity to come. I'm not just going to pray over you. We're going to pray in, in little groups. But don't come for the heck of it. If you genuinely want the Holy Spirit to control your life, if you genuinely want to surrender, say, Lord, my desires, my dreams for myself, they do not, they do not measure up to the plan and desires of what it's like to live like Jesus. And I, I want to be able to do that. I can't do it by myself. So Holy Spirit, come and, and turn a very dry bone into a very great army in Ezekiel 37. A very dry bone. You might feel so dry tonight. I promise you in the name of Jesus, if you come wholeheartedly and sincerely and say, I want to experience the power of being a great army for Jesus. I want to feel strong and courageous and excited and passionate and willing to give my entire life. He will never, ever, ever put you to shame. So we're going to sing, Daniel. And if you want prayer, have as many people to pray over each other and seeking the Holy Spirit tonight. It will make a crazy deal. Make a crazy deal. If you're going to have some groups that want to study together and help each other, I recommend, obviously I recommend this book. I'm not sure if the authors are good, but I recommend this book. I'll have some ready tonight or tomorrow that you can you can get. God bless you. I'm going to come up and uh, and pray with you over the next few minutes. But if you feel like you want to you want to make a statement, and you say, Holy Spirit, I'm going to make a statement. I feel anxious. I'm worried what people think of me, but I'm going to make a statement. Either to live wholeheartedly to serve you, or live wholeheartedly just to reflect you, or just I want to touch so I can relate to you. Remember those three purposes. I want to relate to you more intimately. I want to call you up, just like Jesus called you up. I want to reflect your qualities. I'm sick and tired of, of the insect that keeps coming out of my nostrils. I want to reflect you, not me. Or I really want to represent you wherever I am. I need the power of your spirit. Don't be freaked out by the spirit. The spirit is God. The spirit is what Jesus was for the disciples. It's the spirit of Jesus. He's already inside of you if you're a believer, but it's like Jesus in the boat. It's to be given permission to take control. So if that's you, would you come up the front and let's have as many of us pray over each other. Nobody's got a magic wand. Nobody's got his gift over someone only. God's gift over the body. So I'm going to invite you, if you want, first of all, if you want to receive prayer or you want to give others the opportunity to pray for them, if you want to pray for others, I'm going to invite you from the very start, don't wait. Come and let's pray over each other. And then after a little while, I'm going to come and continue to pray for all of us.